This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Nalima Rao, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, just so everybody knows, it's Nalima's first podcast, but I reckon she's going to do a great job. No pressure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me introduce you. Nalima is a Fijian Indian Australian who has always referred to herself as culturally confused. She has since learned that we are all confused in some way and has published on the topic by Australia's special broadcasting service as part of the SBS and emerging writers' competition. So now feels better about the whole thing. Do you know, I want to talk to you about that because, you know, all our listeners will know I'm Lebanese-Australian and I have felt Lebanese most of my life. Anyway, when she isn't writing, Nalima can be found wrangling data, the dreaded day job, or wandering around Melbourne laneways in search of the next new wine bar. We have a lot in common. (laughs) (laughs) A Disappearance in Fiji is her first novel and she's currently working on the second in the series. I'm super excited for you. This is a great start to a writing career. Thank you. I'm excited but also it still feels a little surreal. I still kind of have to pinch myself. I think the first time I held something that looked like my book in my hands was um, was just I was in Fiji the publishers had given a a dummy to my younger sister, who's also in Sydney, to bring over for me. And the first time I held this thing in my hands, I was I was almost in tears in the parking lot of the airport. Like, it's- yeah. Hey, let me ask you this, and I know it's different regions of the world, but you might want to tell me if it's the same for you. A few years ago, now pre-COVID, I was invited to the Ubud Writers Festival in Bali. Oh yeah, and I was asked to moderate a YA conversation. So there were several YA authors there. Anyway, the room filled up so quickly. I mean, I I, I didn't know what to expect because I hadn't done anything like that, but the room filled up with tons of young people, like, you know, 16, 17-year-old boys and girls, you know, in their school uniform. Or And I was so surprised. Anyway, I'm sitting on this panel, and this is, you know, how naive we are at times. And I'm sitting on this panel, and I'm just seeing these people, just listening, these young people. They were some, there was no more seats left, so they were sitting on a ladder or up on the, you know, wherever they were parking themselves, fully crowded room. And anyway, I couldn't contain myself. So I stopped the panel. I stopped my what I was meant to be doing. And I turned to the audience and I said, why are you all here? You know, there are so many of you. Are you all very avid YA readers? And one of these, oh, so many beautiful articulate people, but one of them 
she said to me and to, to the rest of the room, we didn't grow up in a family of readers. Our heritage wasn't reading. This is new to our generation. And we are engaged and we are interested, but sometimes our parents don't understand. Yes. So my older sister and I used to get in trouble for reading too much. We were encouraged to do our chores or do some homework or even go outside and play, but we were had our nose stuck in books all the time. And this is 1980s in North Queensland, um, but my parents are not readers um so so I know they're very proud of me but I'm I'm not sure that they'll read the book because that it's not really something that I've I've never seen them sit down to read a book so I think that my generation is stuck like everyone's having kids now and we are readers and the next generation are definitely going to be readers but yeah I think the generation before me not so much Tell me about the journey from uh, how you landed in Australia. Uh, well, I kind of remember much of it. We were, th- I was three, so we left Fiji in 1980. Why? Uh, moved to Sydney. My parents just wanted more opportunity for their kids. So it mm. wasn't, this is before any of the coups happened. I'm not sure if they saw the writing on the wall or not, but they wanted more opportunities for their kids and they didn't see it in Fiji. And they already both had siblings in Australia, so they were sponsored over. I think the White Australia policy was only lifted in something like seven, I think it was in the 1970s. So we were really early on. In Sydney, I'm guessing we had more of an Indian community and a Fijian Indian community, but we then quickly, I don't think my parents could handle the cold, so we moved up to Townsville where my father had a sister living there and we ended up settling in North Queensland. Um, And, yeah, there were not a lot of Indians around um, and definitely not a lot of Fijian Indians around. Tell me about growing up there. Did you feel, because, I mean, I talk about this a lot on this podcast, you know, I mean, I was born here but my parents immigrated from Lebanon, you know, for a better life for their children. And I suffered so much discrimination. But I also, they're not my memories. My memories are of a great life growing up and, you know, I've got, I've still got friends that I was friends with in primary school. So I've had a very privileged life. But I say this and it does shock some of my friends um, when I do, but I have never been allowed to be Australian. I've always been Lebanese. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I think I agree with that last statement. So I don't remember having, I, I, I was in, we were in public school when I first moved, when we first started school. And at some point, my parents put us into the local Catholic school because we, I was apparently not Karishma, not my older sister, somehow just me was getting bullied and my lunch money was being taken off me or my lunch was mm. being taken off me and that sort of thing. So they got us into the local Catholic school and I don't remember anyone ever saying anything discriminatory. I always felt a bit of an outsider, but I'm not sure if that was just I was an awkward kid. But that that statement of I'm not allowed to be just Australian. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, It's I lived in the States for about eight years and there I wasn't even allowed to be Fijian Indian. All they wanted to hear was Indian. So if I got that where are you from question, they would want to persist. It would be where are you from? I'm from Australia. Oh, but 
where mm. we're from originally, from Fiji, no one, <laughs> and I could see their mind blown. Um, so they, they, what they wanted to hear was Indian um, mm. because I look Indian. So, mm. Mm. Um, and I think they were confused by how I sounded. But um, yeah. Whereabouts in the States were you? Uh, I lived for six years in LA and uh, one year in Louisville, Kentucky, which we will not speak of again, and one year in Richmond, Virginia, which was also fabulous. And so, what were you doing over there? Day job stuff. So I was working for insurance companies, working on software for insurance companies over all of those places. You just wanted a different environment? Uh yeah, I was 22. Um, everyone else was going to the UK. I was going to the UK. I'd signed my papers. I'd gotten everything ready to put the visa application in. And then I got this job in the US and went, yeah, US, UK, same, same. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I just went to the US instead. But I had a very different experience than my other friends because everyone went to the UK and I was the only one who went to the US. So, And they are obviously very different places. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big fan years. of the US. Again, I talk about this a lot. I go to San Francisco for three months every year and um, hang out there. And uh, this year I went to Mexico and I had such a great time. Okay, it's really nice to get a different cultural experience and to be privileged enough to be able to do it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was that made my 20s. It, it's formed my personality so much. Um, yeah. And it made me braver. Uh, yeah. I don't think I was particularly brave before then and living in the States, moving there by myself, it definitely formed who I am. Mm. Resilience. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me when you started thinking about writing, tell me about how story came into your life. Um, so I think like many of us, story was always in my life. Um, I remember making up stories for my little sisters and that sort of thing. But I didn't do any serious writing. And, but I've always read. I've always read so much. And I kind of always had that niggling idea of I want to write a novel, I want to write a novel, but I never had any experience or training or anything like that. Um, and I grew up in a, you know, in that proper ethnic household where there's passion is not a thing. Passion was not, like, it's not that I went against my passion to do an IT degree. It was not even a concept. So you did whatever you got good enough grades for. And I got good enough grades to do a IT law degree, like a double degree in IT and law. So that's what I did. And uh, so I didn't, probably in my 20s, once I was a little bit established in my career, I started thinking about what else? And I went, I was actually in the States. I did a, a short course at UCLA. And so that was in my early, in my. What a writing course. A writing course. Yeah. But I kind of really, I just dabbled at doing courses. I didn't really have an idea. And then I was, I'd come back from the States. I was living in Sydney. So I was probably in my early thirties by then. I was living in Sydney. Because you know, you look 12. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's the dark skin it's, it's the, yeah it's the, it's the jeans yeah, yeah. Um, according to my brother-in-law we all just age overnight so we all look young 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 and then very old so oh, I've got that okay. to look forward to yeah, yeah okay um, <laughs> I'll look out for that yeah. Uh, yeah so I um I was in a writing course in Australia and this guy said to me oh you should do something about India and I was like mate I don't know anything about India why would I know about India I'm not from India but it did get me starting to think about writing something about Fiji 
And I did a trip to India and saw the poverty there and just sort of went, you know, the people who went to Fiji were the poorest of the poor. So if we had not gone to Fiji, this is the poverty I would have been born into. And at that time, I didn't even know, was it my grandparents? Was it my great-grandparents? Like how far back did my family go in Fiji, to Fiji? So it got me interested. I Between that guy who put that seed in my head, I don't think the course was much good other than that, but he did put that idea in my head. And the trip to India, I started thinking I wanted to learn more about what, what happened in Fiji. How did the Indians end up there? And maybe there was something here that could be a novel. And then I did a lot of research and the more I learned about it, the more I just thought, this is a story. I'm from this heritage and I don't know this story properly or barely know the story. So I wanted to learn more about it and bring it to life, not necessarily for the Fijian Indian community, though somewhat for the Fijian Indian community, but almost more for everybody else. Well, for us, for the reader, yeah. Yeah. Because you don't see that. You know, you see a lot of young writers like yourself writing, but it often is not related to their heritage, especially fiction. Yeah, and that was the thing. I I read fiction and I have always wanted to write fiction, so for me it had to be fiction. And then, honestly, I probably in my adult life have read more fantasy than crime. I did read a lot of crime as a kid, but I couldn't figure out how to get dragons into Fiji, so I went with crime. <laughs> crime but you will figure that out eventually <laughs> Maybe. as you become a bit more experienced writer. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Tell me a little bit about the book, what it's about. Uh, so it is the story of Sergeant Akal Singh. Um, he's young, he's 25, which back then maybe not so young, but for us still young. Yeah. Um, he was a police officer. He's a, a Punjabi Sikh man who went to Hong Kong uh, to be a police officer and he was doing extremely well there. Then he makes a big mistake and he gets sent off to Fiji in disgrace. Um, so he arrives in Fiji. Nobody really, his inspector general doesn't really want him there. Um, he's being shuffled off to do work that nobody else wants. But then eventually a woman goes missing from a plantation, an Indian indentured servant. Uh, he's the senior, he is actually the senior Indian police officer there. So he gets sent off to investigate this plantation, this Uh, woman who's missing from the plantation. And there's a lot of scrutiny over this case because there have been 
you know, people have been screaming out about abuses in this indentured servitude program for a long time and it's starting to come to a head. So the fact that there's a missing woman, they there's a lot of scrutiny on how well this is investigated and what comes out of it. Um, so he's in a bit of a political hot seat and he's already disgraced, so he really needs to get a quick and easy resolution to this and, of course, he doesn't. Yeah. I really liked it. It's cute. It's so unusual and so different. And hearing your voice in your fiction is very lovely as well. So tell me about the idea, how it came to you, and the amount of research that goes into a work of fiction. Yes. And um, also the touch points to your own life, really. Ah, okay. Mm. That's interesting. Okay, so um, in terms of the idea, I went to Fiji in 2016 to do research and I was going to do a bit of family history research, which went very badly because the record keeping was terrible. And then I did research for the book. And when I first started this story, I, I had this idea of a dual chronology. So somebody, an indentured servant girl in the past and a woman going back to Fiji and doing some research, family history research. So basically the future or today is me and the girl in the past is a fictional character. And I just couldn't get anywhere with it because my poor indentured servant girl had no agency to do anything because mm. she's basically next to a slave. She couldn't really investigate mm. crime. So while I was in Fiji and reading the old newspapers, I found out that there had been these Sikh police officers who were brought to Fiji from Hong Kong to much acclaim. So that's where my idea for this police officer came from. Um, so I, I switched gears completely while I was in Fiji and started writing a book that was just set in the past with a police officer as my protagonist. And he's kind of got that whole observer um, angle to him. So he's observed, rather than being an indentured servant, he is observing the harshness of their lives um, when he goes out to the plantation. Uh, the amount of research. So I spent time, so for the first book, I spent time, it was two months in Fiji, I went to... Um, I have a quick question, quick yeah. question before you go there. At what point did you decide I'm going to write fiction? From what I'm gathering, you went to Fiji. Was it then you already had a plan for your book? Tell me about uh, that. Yeah. yeah, so I went okay. to Fiji with a plan for this dual, dual chronology fiction. Yes. But, yeah, it's always been fiction for me. I've just have read nonfiction and I have enjoyed nonfiction but, yeah, my first love is fiction. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you were sure about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I briefly toyed with the idea, but I'm I'm not an academic. I'm not, and I don't want to write an academic text. So, yeah, it was yeah. fiction for me. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is identity and writing fiction. As in cultural identity? It's been a really interesting journey for me because I, as I said, I grew up in North Queensland. There weren't really a lot of Indians around. I really didn't pay much attention to my own cultural heritage or I wouldn't identify as a Fijian Indian Australian. I would identify as an Australian. And then when people would probe about it, I would add Fiji and India in there. So this book has been a real journey for me on learning more about my finding out that it was my great grandparents who went there and learning about the hardships that they went through and being grateful for that. I don't think I was grateful for that as a kid. It just, why would you be? You're a kid. But um, 
I have learnt so much. I feel closer to my family because of like my my parents. I've, they've been involved in helping find people for me to talk to and that sort of thing. So it has changed how I view my identity. I would now say probably in the first instance, Fijian, Indian, Australian, rather than having to have that pulled out of me. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And you really had to, I mean, you've done the research. It's such a, a, a book that you really feel the sense of place and you can only do that when you know that, right? That is, that is, I've seen some reviews where they're like, oh, the main character waffles a little bit and I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I don't care about him waffling. What almost every review I've seen has said, I understand more about Fiji. This isn't a place in the world that I didn't know much about. I didn't know anything about indentured servants things, you know, sent all over the world. That's all I want. That's what, yeah. that's my goal with this book is for people to learn more about that program, why there's Indians all over the bloody place. And, and there are. And there are. And like, yeah. it's not just Fiji, Mauritius, Tobago, yeah. like all of these places, Indians went under the same condition or similar conditions. And it was exploitative and it's still happening. There's still yeah. Indians going off to the Middle East un- under hugely exploitative contracts. And oh, dreadful. So it's still it mm. is a current issue. Mm. And still being treated, you know, not humanely yes. in some of these Arab states. It's terrible. Are he shocking stories? So. You're writing a book. That's not easy. No. 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 Talk to me about that. <laughs> um, so I finished a contract in the UK. So I'd, I'd written maybe a short story here or there before this. I don't think I'd even submitted to any competitions. And then I was like, oh, I finished this contract. Uh, I'm, I'm okay financially for a little while. I'm going to go home and I'm just going to, I'm going to write full time. So I liken this to doing a couple of jogs and then deciding I was going to run a marathon yeah. because I. Just, you were ready. <laughs> I, I was ready, but also, well, I wasn't ready. Because no, you're not going to be ready after a yeah, couple of jogs. I was ready jogs. in my head, but I wasn't ready physically fit to do this thing. So um, I, I struggled at the beginning. I, I It took a it took a while and then I realised I can't write full-time or at least then I couldn't write full-time. I'd put way too much pressure on this whole thing. So I tried to write full-time for a few months, then went and got myself a part-time IT job so that I could take some of the pressure off and that worked a lot better. So um, I struggled through the first draft, I struggled through the second draft and and on the third draft, uh, second draft was a huge rewrite lots of plot changes. So that felt like a second first draft. But on the third draft, I actually had a friend, a writing buddy, and we were all in COVID. We were all in lockdown by then. Mm, I was going to say that. Kind of made my life, in my writing life easier because there wasn't anything else to do. Um, So I had a friend who went through, I had a couple of friends who went through every scene with me. So one a week, they would read and give me feedback. And then it felt like a team effort. It didn't feel like I was on my own and that made such a difference. I think that's a really important message for aspiring writers out there. Find other writers, work with other writers, have writing buddies. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it really does. And I'd had writing buddies before then who I'd have chats with and we'd go out to events and maybe we'd sit and write together and that sort of thing. But actually both of those people who deserve huge amounts of credit, they both had fancy dinners and, um, <laughs> and yeah. acknowledgements in the books. 
and we get free copies because, like, they put so much in. Yeah. And and it's reciprocal, but still, it's it's a huge amount of effort to put into somebody else's piece of work. So yeah, that's an interesting point too because a lot goes into producing a book. People, editors, publishers, copywriters, you know, yes. copy edit check, printers, you know, you've got a whole team of people, you know, trying to make this the best book possible. Yeah, and one of those friends actually commented to me, and he's he's been involved in theatre and, and that sort of thing, so he's got a slightly different angle on it, but he basically said you have, your book is employing people, your book is actually yes. generating GDP, which is a way I had never thought about it before. Mm, but only a data person might think about that. <laughs> Yeah, he's a he's an engineering project manager, but yeah. um, yes, yeah. but same sort of mindset. Yeah, yes, I like that. <laughs> you might need to write to the Minister of Arts and tell him that. Okay, so what was your path to publishing? Ah, so this is ah. an interesting one. Um, I sometimes hesitate to tell this story because it's a little too lucky, and um, I feel a bit bad sometimes when I talk to other authors but I was seeing somebody at the beginning of COVID and when I met him I said here is this book by Colin Cotterell it is kind of what I'm trying to achieve so here you go here's the land of the book read it he never read the book but he did take note of the author's name and for my birthday that year he went to contact Colin um, who is also a cartoonist. So he went to contact Colin to get a cartoon commissioned. And his brief was, this is her whole story. Where, What would you have wanted to hear at this point of your writing journey? So I got this, I wake up on my birthday, I get this beautiful poster, tears, 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 literally the best present I've ever had. And he also tells me that during this whole process, Colin has said to him, my publisher's this is exactly the sort of thing they're after. You should tell her that she can drop my name. Wow. Worth. And it, that is the most unique story. Yep. Yeah. And wow. he went further. He actually then contacted So So this is Soho um, Crime in the US. And Colin contacted at some point he was having a chat with them and said, Hey, by the way, da da da, I've met this person. Um, so they asked to see a chapter. I sent them a chapter. They asked to see the whole thing. I sent it to them nine months later once I was done with the third draft and I had a contract I was still at this point hoping for good feedback and I got a contract so I was stunned and so what happened to the boyfriend yeah well he's in the acknowledgements oh good (laughs) good well the book is called a disappearance in Fiji Nalima thank you so much for your time today I've loved your story thank you thank you so much for having me this has been brilliant If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, 
and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.